Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Danielle Stefanello to the show. Welcome, Danielle. Hey, thanks so much, Jeremy. Danielle is the Global Director of Sales Enablement and Effectiveness at a company that I have zero doubt that you've heard of, WeWork. WeWork is a global real estate solution that helps companies match their office space with their headcount growth. And we actually are very happy customers of WeWork. In fact, all of our offices outside of our Atlanta headquarters are in WeWorks. And I am sitting in a WeWork conference room in New York City as we record this, this podcast. So again, Danielle, welcome. I'm going to start with the same question that I love to ask people because I'm a huge reading nerd. Uh, love to know your favorite sales book of all time and why. Sure. Yeah. So I definitely follow your your list and your reviews. So thanks for that. Um, my favorite sales book is actually I don't know if it's even a sales book, but um, definitely in the context of what we do, you can you can apply it. It's called Thinker Toys. It's by a man named Michael Michalko, and it's all about like creative thinking techniques and, and kind of how to problem solve and think about things more critically. And so I like to take some of the exercises in there and apply it to sales conversations, sales problems, um, business problems. It's been super helpful for me. Are there one or two key takeaways from the book that, that you can apply to creative endeavors? Yeah. I mean, one of the models that I, I try and use daily and actually teach all of the people that are on my team uh, when they come on board is basically a model that enables you to think about uh, challenge your assumptions. So if you have a problem or a challenge, you want to think about like why you can't achieve it and what's kind of stopping you and then flipping your mindset. So then thinking about, I can achieve that. I can do that. And then you kind of close the gap with tactics and actually putting together a plan on how you can get to the positive statements and not necessarily the negative ones. I love the books that, you know, you can walk away with tools. And I felt like this book really did that for me. I also read another book a long time ago called Thinking Fast and Slow. And I was always fascinated by the gorilla experiment, you know, with the basketball game and and the gorilla kind of runs by and people see it or they don't. And I I just always thought it was so interesting how people perceive things differently. And, And when you have a tool that enables you to open your mind. I just I find that's just so applicable to to my day to day. People rave about that book. We've had some other guests who've who've talked about that one. Well, let's transition over to topic for the day, which is enabling frontline sales managers. Why is that particular topic so important to you? And I'm, I'm sure it has something to do with like this choice that you need to make because there's only one of your team, and you need to choose how much energy to spend in in which places. So so why frontline manager specifically? Yeah. So I think definitely we're like, there's a balance, right? You got to do both. But when it comes to actually achieving success at scale and influencing performance and actually making changes that last, I find that the best way to, to approach that is to focus on the people that actually are influencing the salespeople every single day. And I think that, you know, managers don't get enough attention or enough resources to actually, you know, move the needle and, and hold the reps accountable. So I find that if you put your energy from an enablement perspective into managers, it actually pays dividends and and the ROI is, is so much higher than just doing the one to many approach. At a high level, you've been an SDR, you've been an AE, you've been a manager, 
and a director. So like you have walked the walk in sales. So was there a particular time, you know, in the course of your career, as you progressed through those roles, where you noticed this gap on kind of manager effectiveness? Yes, actually with myself. So I was a pretty good rep. I, I definitely, I went to club. I hit my goal. I was good at learning from others and kind of taking it and making it my own. And um, but there were a lot of things I wasn't good at. I definitely, you know, wasn't a great active listener at times. There were there were skills that prohibited me uh, in my day to day that I had to learn, and I had to kind of overcome and find ways to to get better. And when I became a manager for the first time, and I sat across from a rep, and they said, you know, I really want help with active listening. I kind of, I kind of didn't really know what to say. Right? I was like, oh, you know, just listen more. It was kind of in that moment where I started to really realize that the gaps that you have as a salesperson just perpetuate when you become a manager. And then when you actually have to help those people close the skill gap, it's kind of like, uh, I don't really know how, right? Imagine I came to you and I said that I have an active listening gap. How would you coach me now through that? Yeah, for sure. So a lot of times what, what I like to do is I like to actually define like what is active listening, right? Like what are you actually trying to achieve when you're active listening, right? What's your goal? I think a lot of times that's a, but those are some buzzwords. So when it comes to actually coaching you on active listening now, doing a lot of listening to your conversations and breaking it down in the moments of where you as a learner actually thought you should be active listening. And getting you to have some self-discovery around why maybe you weren't. And usually it's that you're thinking about the next thing you're going to say or your product that you have to sell. So one of the things that I find is really helpful is actually doing a discovery call with someone or a cold call with someone. And they have no idea what product they're selling or what I need or what I want. And doing that over and over again and just having natural conversation and allowing them to creatively like give me a solution or prescribe a solution that is a product that they don't actually interact with day to day to get them out of the habit of knowing what they're going to say. That's always kind of the gap or the root is that they're anticipating what they want to say and they're not listening and responding to, to what's going on. By having people start to practice just having a conversation, having to respond to what's going on, not knowing what product they're going to sell or what they're going to talk about gets them in this habit of just being comfortable listening and being comfortable with maybe failing or not having the right solution. A lot of times people don't even know what active listening is or why they want to achieve that goal. So I always start by just asking, like I said, why, what will that help you do? If you're a good active listener, what will you achieve? So you were sort of in that moment as a first line manager where you realized that, you know, you kind of had these, had these gaps. How have you approached it since then? I've actually taken a step back and done a lot of looking at other managers, like I said, and in our organization, what we try and do is say, okay, you know, if Bob is manager X, like what is he really good at? And when he was a salesperson, what were his strengths or what are the things he knows how to actually lift? And then we, we take a look at what other managers might not be as strong and try and engineer this collaboration, engineer these relationships across the managers. And that's something that I've taken directly from, from my career when I was a first-time manager and did not know how to coach on some of these skill sets. We found that that's been pretty successful. When I've been in enablement roles myself, I've had kind of a set of five-ish categories, and I'm not going to be able to list them all right now, but they included things like, you know, knowing about our company, knowing about our market, having selling skills, 
understanding the product and then whatever fifth one I'm missing right now. Do you have a similar framework of what you think the key competencies are for an effective sales manager or I'll leave it there? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to coaching on like coaching the actual salesperson in their role, there are, I think we try and think about manager competencies, what good looks like in their role from the perspective of, we actually just did this last week at, at one of our offsites. One of them is called rep journey. So in order to be good at your job, you need to make someone a good at their job, but then make them great. And then obviously try and get them off your team, right? Try and grow them off your team. The other one would be like operational management or excellence, forecasting, managing inputs, making sure that, you know, the reps are are doing what they need to do every day. We talked a lot last week, actually, with, with our leader on the concept of micromanaging and that. It is not a bad thing if you create processes and accountability um, for people on your team to act as the CEO of their business, right? But they need to have that level of accountability. The third one is hiring the right talent. So talent evaluation and getting people onto your team. The fourth one we, we talk about is stakeholder management. I think frontline managers at our company, and I'm sure across many other organizations, have to not only work internally with their partners, but there's so many people that that rely on them or that they impact. Um, and so managing those relationships is, is crucial. The fifth one is we called it values-based leadership or inspirational leadership. We talked a bit about the rep journey. And I, I love one of the comments you made, which is to basically have the courage to grow people off your team and potentially to succeed you. Do you find that most of the managers that you work with are like, do you have that mindset or is that a shift in mindset for them? I think that's a shift in mindset for people that are going from peer to leader. And I find that that's where we need to enable managers the most is like the first time frontline managers that really, really need to understand what good looks like and and what their ultimate job is. And I think that's totally a shift in mindset to say, wow, okay, my, my role is actually not to keep people here. It's to grow them off the team and out of the organization. And that might even be out of the company. And I think when you get comfortable with that and you know that that's your North Star, they start to get really excited about coaching and really excited about development and don't view it so much as like a task or something that's daunting for them. If you're in a manager role and you're, you're passionate about people and you love people, the first moment you, you promote someone or you see them go kind of achieve their goals, I think that you become addicted to that. And so that shift in mindset, it's like they need to believe it. That's one thing where enablement can really come into play is, is getting them to sort of believe that and watch, watch how when they work with their team members, improve on skills and get better, that that's them pushing them one step closer to, to kind of growing and achieving their next role. I want to transition over to your second pillar, which is operational management. Companies are made and broken on the backs of the effectiveness of your first line sales manager. So that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk about this today. And a big part of that is sales strategy or operations or leadership will come up with subtle shifts in sales process or sales methodology that then need to get executed. And it's beholden on the first line sales managers to you know believe in that, but understand it and execute it and hold people accountable, inspect and so on. Do you put that into the operational management category? Yeah, 100%. One of the things that we were we were finding and, and I've actually seen it in multiple companies in my career, you know, you go through you go through sales training or you go through your onboarding process and, and you learn the what, right? Like you learn very meta or academic concepts and then the reps show up 
on day two and they sit at their desk and they kind of look at their manager and say, okay, now what? Right. And I think it's the manager's job to give them the roadmap to success and, and build upon kind of daily behaviors that adhere to the process and also enable them to find success. And so a lot of what, what I'm doing or my team's doing is, is helping kind of build out that accountability program where, again, we're engineering a relationship between the manager and the rep within the first week or two of them on the job. But it's crucial that the manager's involved and bought in and, and kind of takes it. And once it's over, continues to build on it. Has there been a significant process or methodology change that you had to roll out to the first line managers? And if yes, what, what was that and how did you go about it? There's so many. We've been through changes in in strategy in terms of who we're prospecting, the types of accounts, also, you know, where we sit in the business. I think one thing that's that's really interesting about WeWork or about this kind of product is it's so emotional. It's way different than SaaS. And I think how we communicate that and how we actually get buy-in and and the types of conversations we're even having on cold calls is is quite different and nuanced. I find that actually partnering, you really can't roll any methodology or change out unless you partner with the managers, partner with directors and have tremendous amount of sponsorship. Anytime we roll out any changes, the managers are, are involved from day one. When you do a change, do you actually certify the managers that you have a scored rubric and, and they need to pass before the, the AEs can pass? I would love to be able to do that every time. It definitely doesn't definitely doesn't happen at the pace that we're moving. But what we do is we hold them accountable to actually, let's say it's you know a call rubric or we're rolling out a new flow for our cold calls. We certify the actual reps, but the managers are responsible along the way to validate and be involved in the process. They also can't get certified unless their team kind of follows that as well. Do you also use any sort of a learning management system for, for asynchronous training, right? Where people can do stuff on demand? We have an LMS as a company. In the inside sales organization, we're not super reliant on it. We create our own kind of videos um, and then have assessments that tie back to it. I'm not a huge fan, honestly, of video exposure. I, I just find that like, even when I was a rep, I was a, tried to be a goody two shoes all the time, but I also fast forwarded through a lot of those things <laughs> or like zoned out, you know? So my biggest thing is like, I love conversational fluency and I love when managers can actually have conversations about values or about the cold calls or about, you know, our products or about the market and actually just have a conversation. And then measure, A, was the person really comfortable? Was the person able to reflect on the things, the key points that they should have learned and make it a little bit more casual than, you know, certifying everyone on everything? Yeah, I'm with you. I think there are major, you know, initiatives and changes and, and that probably you can only really get away with that a couple of times a year. Yeah. I find like the biggest thing for manager enablement has been two things. So the first one I was mentioning is like the accountability piece. So engineering these types of relationships and making sure that the manager is held accountable by their director and that they're holding their reps accountable. So we do that through programs. We do that through, you know, weekly requirements around listening to conversations. And then as an organization, we use that to kind of push the strategy forward. 
And the second piece is one of the things that my team did was um, to the point we were talking about earlier was like when a rep comes up to you and says, hey, I want to get better at, you know, value selling or I want to get better at open ended questions. Or maybe it's a gap you've identified in some calls that you've listened to. The biggest question is how. So something that, that my team did was we actually built out a library that managers can go to and pull activities from and actually know how to run a one-on-one activity or how to run a group activity that has specific learning objectives and lifts the skill. And that's something that, that all of our managers use on a daily basis that we've seen a lot of success with. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you assume when people move into roles that they know what they're supposed to do in those roles, for example, in one-on-ones, but you definitely can't assume that your managers are necessarily executing the management playbook. And I also do like your, love your comment about like the directors do need to hold the managers accountable as well, which I think is often a miss. It does flow completely up and down the chain. When I was a manager, my first time or second time, I feel like I was over-indexing all of my one-on-ones towards career conversations. And I found that that was the easiest thing for me to do was just talk about the future. And that kind of sparked in me this passion for giving managers the tools to actually do just-in-time coaching and, and actually lift performance and lift skill. I just felt like I was over-indexing on that. I don't know if that's something that you felt or, or you've come across too. I think people over-index on like one or more things. One is definitely the career conversation. I see people over-indexing on just metrics reviews. And then the third component is where I think the real value is, is on coaching. And to your point, like just-in-time coaching, either through role play or if you've got some sort of conversational intelligence solution to record you know, your interactions, to dissect that very carefully during those meetings and, and give people feedback on, on what actually happened. So yeah, it, it is a... People over-index on any one of those three, and, and it really is the blend that does matter. The one thing that's missing too is like during those coaching moments, in order to have an effective one, I just feel like you need to you need to really isolate one area. I think a lot of times managers, you know, are trying to do everything at one time. And I feel like you need to isolate that single area and then, you know, drive that internal motivation and self-awareness. And get their commitment, right? That this is something that they also identify as a gap. Love to now transition to your third pillar. So with the first, we talked about really rep journey. The second was the operational management and execution. Let's talk briefly about hiring. How do you teach managers to be better at hiring? What's your best advice there? Oh, yeah. This is actually a hot topic for us right now. One of the things that I think organizations do a lot of is like interview training. And it's like what questions to ask, right? Okay, let's do some interview training. This, these are the questions that you should be asking on an interview. But just like with reps, how do they know what it's supposed to sound like? And that is all through feel, right? So they need to get the feeling for it. So what we try and do is align as an organization on the qualities or the competencies that are non-negotiables for us. And then we back questions into that and we do some situational role playing for the manager. So I'll come up to the front of the room or myself and another director or VP will actually script out questions and answers and we'll stop after each one and just have an open conversation. And really, it's just kind of gearing them up to to get the feel. 
for when they should dig in, you know, what are things are, are concerning and, and nothing's in a vacuum. We always say that, like, you're not going to ask one question and know if someone is good or not. It's just about picking up the feeling and, and knowing when you need to continue to dig in. So those are some things that we're doing now is like this simulation training and aligning with the managers after on some hiring decisions maybe they made and, and where they feel the gaps were in relation to the qualities in relation to the questions they asked and that accountability and self-awareness around maybe some poor hiring decisions we've made or even some of the better ones. Why? You know, why do we feel that that was so good? Taking the time to think through great hires that you were wrong on or bad hires that you were wrong on and figure out the root cause and how you can fix that in the future, I, I do think is so critical. Well, cool. We can get to, to number four here, which is uh, stakeholder management. Can you redefine that briefly and, and, and talk about what you expect of your managers? Sure. So I think the big thing here is like building relationships with people that either you influence their business, they influence yours. It's, it's obviously a mutual, a mutual relationship that's built on trust, you know, alignment around vision, communication, and, and execution. And I think one of the things that managers do when they get into this role for the first time and they have, you know, two, three, four external stakeholders is they focus a lot on themselves or on their team's success or on what their team's doing. And they forget to actually connect the dots on does that person you're even talking to really care about that? What do they care about? And how can you start to move the needle a, in the business and with your relationship, talking about topics that are mutually beneficial and actually matter to, to one another. So that's kind of what, what we mean when we say that. I would assume stakeholder management is mostly internal in that role. It's, it's their peers, their managers, other departments. Yep. What department do your sales managers work with most frequently and, and where there can be challenges in alignment? Primarily, their main partners are like the AE managers, right? So if they're SDR managers, their main stakeholders, their AE manager partners, and on the AE manager front, their main stakeholder is the SDR manager. And that's a relationship that's interdependent, right? And I think it's like, how do we get them to a place where they're partnering and not blaming? They're actually communicating the things that matter most to one another and it's cohesion, right? And that takes time, but I think it's a competency that, is necessary for the manager to, to show mastery in if they want to become a director or a senior manager or if they want to grow in their, in their career. If people view you as collaborative, you're much more likely to get promoted is my, is my way of netting that out. It brings us back to where we started with active listening that I think a big part of collaboration is active listening. And during that listening time, I'd add, you should be reflecting on subtext. What is it that this other stakeholder that I'm interacting with really cares about? What are they really saying? Oftentimes, what are they afraid of or what are they trying to accomplish? People reflect too little on that. There's actually two things you just jogged my memory that, that I, I like to coach on. The first one I always say is, so what? Whenever a rep says something about our value or our product or a solution, I always challenge them with, so what? Who cares, right? Like, what does that even mean? And I, I do the same thing to managers. Like, if you're going to go speak to your stakeholder, or you're going to speak to your manager, you're going to manage up, like, so what, what are you really saying? And I think that is really crucial to being able to communicate effectively and to be able to communicate in a way that matters to the person you're talking to. The other piece is, 
I oftentimes try and challenge the reps and the managers, specifically the managers, to get their reps to think about the difference between the goal and the result. So oftentimes when I ask them, hey, you know, what's the goal of your reps cold calls or what's the goal of your reps discovery call? And the answer is usually an opportunity or a meeting or, you know, a sale. And I challenge them on that. I say, that's the result. The goal should be what, right? Like the goal should be that you help them. The goal should be that you build mutual relationship, that you build respect and trust. And I think if you can think through that lens, the result will happen. It's just a matter of how you you approach it. And, and that enables you to active listen just better if you don't have your own goal in mind when you're going into the conversation. Last but not least, we got the, your fifth pillar, which is values-based leadership. Is that tied to the specific WeWork specific values or is it more general than that? So I can't take credit for any of these pillars. It actually came from, from our leader, Aaron Naldoza, who's fantastic. But the values-based leadership is more personal, but it, it, when you're in a values-based organization, it just naturally sort of aligns and fits, and it's an easy thing to, to talk to and digest. But when we talk about a, a manager developing values-based leadership or excelling in this competency, it's more about them knowing who they are, right? Knowing who they are and what they care about and being able to translate that and align people to the culture and values of WeWork while staying true to, to who they are. That's really important, I think, for them to to grow their manager legs and to actually feel like they're inspiring and motivating the people around them. I don't talk much about sales loft, but it's one of the things that drew me to the company, you know, is kind of that values-based leadership ethic. There's another component of it that I don't know if it's true at WeWork, but is is like unique in my 25-year working career, this concept of sort of bringing your whole self to work, which... I'd give probably someone like Brene Brown, who talks a lot about vulnerability. Like I've never seen a place like this where people, you know, they're open and welcoming and loving about people, about their mental health issues or uh, addiction issues that, that is just sort of true in the general population. And it's not like these things disappear. It's pretty special when that happens. Yeah, that's amazing. I think honestly, like regardless of the company, I just think those are the people you want to continue to work for, right? Like you find those leaders and, and you're like, I want to continue to work for this person, but definitely in our organization for themselves and very open and transparent and visible. And, and when managers can tap into that, it's amazing and such a beautiful thing to watch. The one thing that's challenging, I would say, is them not confusing being respected with being liked. And I think sometimes, you know, when you kind of open yourself up, it's like, am I doing it in a way that's trying to make people like me or am I doing it in a way that's trying to inspire and get people to respect me? Um, so that balance is a hard one to, to navigate. I think that is it, which is, yeah, don't confuse being respected with being liked. I think that's brilliant. That is a huge component of, of first line sales managers being successful in their job, especially after they get promoted because so many of them, right, are being promoted from a group of their peers. And it can be awkward to hold your, your friends accountable to activity metrics and pipeline and, and behavior and, and values and so on. So I, I think that was a great way to, great way to wrap. Well, Danielle, if people do want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, what's the best way to find you? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also a softie for, for in-mails just because I, like I said, I started my career as an SDR and I know it's hard. Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. 
Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingshern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.